I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. Probably make a Pixar Geico Gecko uh, movie. Right? Make a movie. Oh, they come to get all these insurance advertisers, like including oh, Flo yes, from. Oh yes, <laughs> they, it's like the fucking Avengers. They make a movie. Uh, uh, Jared Charlie, from Subway. He'll Char- be the villain, of sure, course. course. Charlie Kaufman movie about the making of a p- movie that is supposed to be that, but it's not really a movie. Like, <laughs> um, there's a Jim Varney picture, the only one I've ever seen before, that isn't him as Ernest, where he's he's uh, Hamlet. <laughs> Because he's what? playing Hamlet, and he's like, "That's hilarious," you know, with the skull and every, and it's like his from like a college or something. You know, you could tell it's like right. black and white. And he's like, so every time anyone says Ernest or Jim Varney or any, all I think of is that guy's a real actor, yeah, <laughs> and he got he's a role. The only one, right? You're right. He's a real, honest actor because he had he, he got that photo. Yeah, all you need to be a great actor is a picture of you holding a skull. That's right. <laughs> so either that, or you could be a mass murderer. <laughs> It depends how many skulls you're about, holding. It's all about context. I'm just standing in a field of skulls. <laughs> that's right. I'm, a, that's I'm the Pol, best actor. Right. Pol, Pol Pot was the best actor. <laughs> the Terminator's <laughs> Oscar the Academy Award Lifetime Achievement goes to Pol Pot. Right. Or the Terminator's foot. Yeah. <laughs> and that you just have like a bulldozer that's full in the scoop of all those skulls. He's looking up at it. Yorick. Right. So many Yorks. He's in there somewhere. So He's you, in there. You guys don't know this, but uh, on one of our previous things that we uh, that we recorded and became our one of our Patreon exclusives, we found this is the rarest unicorn. A guy, a friend of ours, um, who had never seen Soylent Green, oh. nor had the movie ever been spoiled for him. Wow! He's a unicorn. Uh, was, oh, that's amazing. So, uh, so he's he was clearly like a sheltered guy. Like he didn't see any really movies when he was growing up um, but Mike was able to sort of like lead him in the primrose path to be like don't enter it into Google because the autofill yeah. will spoil the movie for you don't tell anyone don't read the DVD title title in the back of the you know the yeah. box it will spoil it for you um, and we chapter actually... 37 it's people <laughs> yes <laughs> and it was it was totally fascinating that, that we you're actually able to find someone who's like oh I don't I'm not subject to the same sort of cultural osmosis that everyone else is where you just are going to have heard stuff. Most people have not seen the movie but they know that line. Right. Yep. Yeah. Was he disturbed? Because when I watch that movie now I think, oh that's logical. Yeah. There's all those people. <laughs> yeah. It's I think not, we ought to do this. I don't think that's disturbing <laughs> Good idea. under those kind of, I think he'd be like, nobody else in the when he yelled at, they'd be like, we figured. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> where are all they all going? Heston's the only one who didn't know in that movie. Right. Yeah, he's a cop. That's right. He's a cop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I think I, he wasn't shocked by it. I think he's used to the idea of twist endings. Okay, and I uh, and he the, was looking for a twist. Yeah, because of course he warned he, him. Yeah, right? he, it yeah. was different. Right. It was Don't different. look in the briar patch. Right. Whatever yeah. you yes. do. <laughs> yeah, I think we're sort of trained for that now. Um, I, we watch movies in a very different way than we used to, and I think a lot of it is the nerds won this invisible culture war that happened. And it isn't just the nerdy shit like sci-fi, fantasy, you know, superhero. Wait, there are it, other movies than sci-fi, fantasy, and superhero? I thought don't those were tell the Hollywood. Only, <laughs> those are the only movies. Um, 
it, it's not just those those genres. It's the fact that we watch things, even things that aren't typically quote unquote nerdy in terms of their subject matter. We watch them like nerds. We go yeah. into it looking for hints at future episodes. We look for twists. Uh, we evaluate stuff like critics as a general rule that we watch things going, I think I know what's going to happen because there's this. And we take apart every episode piece by piece, shot by shot and want to know everything about it. And, uh, you know, that's just how we watch TV and movies. Now we I, have long debates about what Walter White is going to do and whether he's going to survive the series or not. And these are just the average person now does this. Yeah. Yeah. It's way more mainstream than it used to be. That's the way nerds really won. I watch or have watched things in this is embarrassing, but I'll watch something that's fantasy like Game of Thrones. And I'm like, okay, fantasy, this is cool. But you know, I'm more of a sci fi guy if I had to peg myself. And then I and then, you know, I'm curious and then I realize, well, this isn't Earth. Yeah. And then I did is this Earth? And then I did yeah. some research and it's like, no, it's not. It's not Middle Earth, which takes place on Earth in some time that's forgotten. Right. It's actually a different planet. Yep. So it's all science fiction. Yes. Because to me, once it's not historical, if it's in the future or now it's something that's that we don't currently have, then it's sci-fi. So to me, I love Game of Thrones. But if someone said, do you like the fantasy world, I would say, eh, not so much. But I love Game of Thrones. Because for me, in the back of my head, I'm like, well, you know, it's just another planet. They're all This aliens. could be happening right now. They're not human. They could be the size of a thimble. We have no, that planet could be the size of this house. We don't know. And the house is big, but, yeah. you know, it's not that big. Yeah. It, it's weird to look at it that way because, yeah, it has different continents. It, I mean, it's weird that we have a lot of the same cultural constructs as medieval Europe and, you know, like the Dothraki are kind of like the uh, Mongols. And it's a lot of coincidences they have horses on that planet. Well, the guy too. who made it is from here. Yes. No. Oh, so it, he's like a man god. Yes. George R. R. Martin is like standing up in the clouds, you know, throwing problems down on people. Or it's the, very... Black, the Black Knight satellite is beaming the uh, the truth of another planet into his head. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what's his name there? Uh, Philip K. Dick. What do they What do they call that as a trope thing about um, if there's a, there's a problem with any franchise going too long where there are inconsistencies that appear and authors are just like, just they, at a certain point in time, you don't want to own up to having to fix them all because if your creation has gone on long enough, of course they're going to happen. And so there's this alternate trope theory about how um, the author isn't actually creating them out of his own head. They actually have their own real existence on another plane, and they're just interpreting these other characters' stories. The many so worlds. Of course, theory. he got them. Of course, he gets them a little wrong because they're just being beamed into his head. Um, that uh, that sounds. Uh, I've heard that, and also that sounds like a lot of bullshit that authors <laughs> say. Like you know, I talk to my characters, yes. and my characters they just came to me. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, it actually is. When I'm alone at night. Right. <laughs> I'm alone at night. Their voice is in my head. George R. R. Martin is a scary motherfucker mm-hmm. with some of those characters. He's got Joffrey in his head. Uh, but yeah, I, I look at it kind of like there's a scene in a Kurt Vonnegut novel called Breakfast of Champions where suddenly the prose goes into first person. Mm-hmm. And Kurt Vonnegut is a character in this nightclub scene. And he's like, the phone rang. I had to think quick. Who was it? <laughs> so he's like writing in real time as you're reading it for that brief moment. And it's stuff like that's what it kind of reminds me of. There's one person on the planet who's like a god. Actually, there's a Batman story. If I told you about this, Casey, Mm-mm. I was shocked that I didn't bring this up during our Batman episode. But 
There was a series that Batman was in in the 1970s called Batman Brave and the Bold, where he'd team up with different people. Mm -hmm. And in one of the stories, he has to team up to save the writer and artist of the book at the time you're reading it. (laughs) So the the artist, oh God, I'm gonna I'm gonna get killed forgetting what his name. I remember it was Bob Haney, and oh God, it's gonna be painful. But uh, this artist um, turns out that as soon as he draws something. It becomes real. So he's actually writing out Batman fighting this terrorist group. So they want to kidnap him and force him to draw them winning and killing Batman. And he has to keep escaping and continuing the drawing. Nice. To stop. I think he breaks his pencil in protest at one point to to hold them off until they can get him a replacement. But it's just fucking bonkers. That's, isn't that that's now a well-established thing? Because didn't that was the Will Ferrell movie that was Stranger Than Fiction? I think was the name of it. Yeah, where he's he realizes he's the character in someone's novel that's currently being written. Right, and that yeah, has right, to be right, a right. genre in, now. In the author lives in his world. Yes. And at some point they meet. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's um, like that's it's a, it's a it's a it's a meta story. It's a meta story, a fourth wall breaking story where the characters know they're in a story, and so they affect. They 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 affect the author and thereby the the the, de- the direction of the story. I think that's now its own like it's the its plot of Cool World. Yes. Oh, it, it's true. Oh, <laughs> Cool World. So I mean, that's it, right? I mean, yeah. we're done. <laughs> Jim right, Aparo is the name of that artist, by the way. I'm just you. saving ourselves right now. Thank yeah, you, from Jim. The lynching that's going to happen. Oh, God, he's an iconic <laughs> Batman artist, and he's amazing. So I didn't want to say Neil Adams because I knew it wasn't Neil Adams. But it's Jim Aparo. Well, I'm glad you got that covered, Mike, because I oh. don't care. <laughs> Has anyone else read the book uh, Alan Mendelssohn, The Boy from Mars by Daniel Pinkwater? No. There's a, there's a scene in You it made that all that up. <laughs> that was all made up. And that's all amazing that you can do I, that. I haven't read the Batman arc that you're talking about. So, uh, in the book, I think uh, there is a character who I think is probably based on a real uh, uh San Francisco, San Francisco eccentric from uh, from the '60s, probably where uh, the characters in the book meet a guy who is uh, writing a novel, uh, and he works at a bookstore and stands at the counter with his typewriter writing the novel. And the novel consists of his life, everything that's happening in the bookstore, everything that people say when they come up to him at the bookstore, <laughs> and he just you know keeps piling up the page as page after page. That sounds like a really boring novel. <laughs> oh, oh no, it would be unreadable. Yes. They keep coming up to the counter. Yes. <laughs> Why? Why won't they leave me alone? I'm surprised there aren't more stories about retail hell. As, as yes, a, and that novel was called Clerks. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I can tell you some weird fucking stories that I've had to deal with while working at a bookstore. Oh, please. Um, I mean, there's one that I really enjoy, and I have one coworker. She no longer works with me, but she was the one person who could always tell other people, yes, this really happened. Um, so... I'm 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 shelving and there's these two kids walking around and for the longest time I thought they had come there together but I realized no these are two kids probably 9 10 years old I'm bad at judging the age of children preteen post you know toddler somewhere in there <laughs> yeah sure tall enough that <laughs> that's a nice 12 6 year range there. yeah 7 year range so uh, this sure. one kid is following this other kid around and he's like a little Owen Wilson where he's got like the tank top, kind of longish blonde hair, puka shell necklace. He's kind of like, hey, man. He's like, good driving, bro. Yeah. yeah and, good driving. <laughs> good, Flashback humor. That's from another thing. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Funny you should say that. Um, and he just keeps talking to this other kid who's just like this little uptight, little Charles Grodin type. <laughs> and he's just like, well, you got Xbox, bro? You get that for Christmas, bro? 
oh man, you play Minecraft, bro? And finally the other kid just turns around and just goes, please stop calling me bro. (laughs) Bless his heart. That's adorable. (laughs) It was fucking wonderful. Future screenwriter. (laughs) The only thing it would be better if that one kid was wearing a little suit. (laughs) It's like an Owen, uh, uh, not Owen Wilson, uh, who's the guy in all the movies he's in. uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Wes Anderson? It's a little little Wes Anderson character. (laughs) He's just like... I am here because I have no sense of humor, and your mm-hmm. free-spiritedness is annoying me. <laughs> and I am made of corduroy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that sort of vibe. It's like, are you guys a comedy duo? Is this like a real thing? <laughs> they're probably they're little people. They're like adults, and they just do this. Are you the wacky best friend who just moved in, and you're turning his life upside down? Yeah. He's going to throw a plate of pasta against the wall. It's like, yeah. wasn't there a movie with Matt Dillon in it with this exact same plot that you guys were doing? <laughs> was that you, me, and Dupree? And uh, Christy McNichol shows up somewhere? Yeah. Or is that yes. too, too old a reference? Oh, man. Uh, I We didn't get to talk about this, Mike, uh, interjecting in this in our conversation. We didn't talk about going to see Star Trek Beyond. No. Because it's kind of, we had been talking about, for years actually, we had been talking about the follow-up to Into Darkness and the sort of changes that were necessary. Did you too, Matthew, Matt, did you see Star Trek? Uh, I have not seen the new one. I, I saw the two, pre- I've seen the two previous ones. I have not that's seen the new That's probably why you one. haven't. Oh, okay. No. I, I was going to say, that's why you haven't seen this one. I mean, one I don't know if it would be appropriate to to just smatter spoilers upon these two gentlemen by talking about Star Trek. Uh, I'm, I, I'm okay with it. I, I will see it, but I don't care about being spoiled. I'm spoiler-proof. You're spoiler, oh, spoiler okay. proof. Oh, you're spoiler proof. Well, I mean, I don't know how to interpret that. It's... It means that nothing can be spoiled for me. Okay. So, right. the, so the segue here is that we just got finished doing a panel on Fast and the Furious, and the director Justin Lin, who basically righted the course for this franchise that was really was floundering, yeah, um, uh, was brought in after two J.J. Abrams movies, and after what was cr- was commercially successful, but I think critically panned second reboot movie. Into Darkness, um, who was brought in uh, because Bob Orsi, the screen, previous screenwriter who was directing, was lo- basically lost control of the movie. It was taken away because the studio did not feel that he was going to deliver what they needed. And so Justin Lin was brought in as a replacement. And did J.J. Uh, Abrams move on to do something else? Or? He just moved on to do Star Wars. <laughs> yes, just kidding. Of course. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, he's still making a shit ton of money off of them, <laughs> yes. so it's fine. He's, there is that. I think he's, he's on as an executive producer, oh, he's which exec- he's making a lo- He's making a lot of money, obviously. J.J. <laughs> Abrams doesn't even show up on set and he's making money. Um, but, uh, you know, like, what came out of it was... It was clear it did a thing that lots of big ticket movies do, which is had screenwriter, lost screenwriter, had director, lost director. And usually this spells, you know, some trouble for the fact that one vision gets compromised, lost, rewritten. But what came out of it in Star Trek Beyond was actually very refreshing for someone who has been a lifelong Star Trek fan and who's kind of was very apprehensive about the sort of, as I called pulling everything except for the brainstem out of the franchise to create these like single use vehicles for JJ Abrams style of frenetic like mm-hmm. autistic uh filmmaking um, think- and and like and I was so enjoyable it was so yeah. refreshed I actually had the, there's a certain kind of movie out there and in Into Darkness uh Dark Knight Rises is kind of like this where I think I'm starting to call them sweater movies <laughs> where imagine that you're wearing a sweater and the minute you step out of the theater, it snags, and you're just walking away, and this thing is unraveling. And the more and more you think about this movie, 
the more it falls apart under the scrutiny of even just a little bit of thought and the less you like it. It's like a single, the Weezer song. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> single it, use viewing. Yeah. Yeah, where you're mm. just like, no, that was bad. Where you come out and you're like trying to convince yourself it was kind of good. You're like, it was, it was, it was okay. <laughs> what I found with uh, Star Trek Beyond was the opposite experience. I'm like, hey, that was pretty good. And the more I thought about it, the more I found myself liking it. And I think it's primarily that it was optimistic. It was optimistic about the future. It brought back this sort of utopian, aspirational science fiction future that you don't see pretty much anywhere anymore. And where you look at the first two movies, to the degree that you see the Federation, it's always like, you know, Peter Weller as this ugly undercurrent of militarism and Mm -hmm. everything's exploding and everything's that much closer to all of society falling apart. And I think that we want to watch movies that aren't about powerful people being good. I mean, you see that in the Superman movies again, where we don't want to believe that anything that powerful can be good. You want to... Yeah, you got to go rogue to be yeah. to, for good to happen. Like James Bond goes rogue yeah. all the fucking time oh, yeah. now. And you don't want to think that an agent of a government actually might be a good person or that it's actually possible for something to be like the Federation benevolent. And what I really liked in this movie is that it righted that cart. That was the thing you had to do, that in going to the Yorktown space station in the movie, you see a future that, holy shit, I want to live there. Nice. It isn't just, that looks like a fun adventure in, you know, The Walking Dead or Mad Max or something, or Hunger Games or all these places that I would never want to live. It's like, holy shit, I want to live in this place. I don't know. It depends which district in the Hunger Games, right? <laughs> yeah. Some of them seem pretty cool. As long as you can dress like a peacock and you know yes. spit down on poor people, you're they golden. They have some very enthusiastic costume designers in the world of Hunger Absolutely. Games. Absolutely. Those, those guys live for their jobs. It's Oh, man. And then other than that, you're, you're living in another district and you're eating rats, essentially. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, the belief that the universe gets better as you go on, that it isn't a deterioration and... What I kind of liked is it became the theme of the movie, that the villain of the movie is a relic of an earlier time. Nice. And that he is a Starfleet captain during the... He's been kept alive through story means. And he's... uh, MacGuffin, of course. He's been turning more and more into a monster over the course of... That's the Idris Elba character. And he comes from a time where he fought in a war against Romulans and all these other people... And he saw the Federation throwing that shit apart and starting treaties with these people. It's like, those people killed my fucking friends. I will not move past this. Mm-hmm. We don't get better through diversity. We don't get better through um, we don't get better through breaking bread with our enemies. We get better through conflict. And him refusing, he hates the Federation for I was a fucking hero and you don't have a place for me in this new world. Where the heroes are going, no, this is so much fucking better than being at war. That our differences make us stronger and awesomer. And that being the theme of the movie, it's like, no, the future is awesome. And we can live in a world where everybody is different and works together. And, you know, just because you were an enemy at one point doesn't mean you're destined to be that enemy forever. Mm -hmm. And it's just one character's inability to be a part of this new status quo. And that's where his hatred of the Federation comes from. And I think it was a little bit underwritten. I would have wanted more scenes explaining his motivation. Yeah. Uh, but I think the fact that that was the theme of the movie is fucking awesome. 
seems like it's um, relating that the earlier two films, the first two, the J.J. Abrams films, that didn't have this Roddenberry-esque feel to them have forgotten that the Star Trek universe that we know is after humanity's destroyed itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The majority of humanity's destroyed itself and has left, whatever's left has decided to leave this barbarism behind. The, the, la- the previous two Star Trek films were made by people in the barbarous times today forgetting that the Star Trek universe takes place after they're all dead and their ideas have been discounted as savage and that no, they don't work. They ended up with a nuclear holocaust. The, yeah. the, the Federation was born after humanity had ejected these ideas. So the film itself seems to do that, saying these pre- two previous films are from a, from a relic. They're relics. This character's a relic. And moving forward, we're going to all decide to remember that this universe takes place after we've uh, survived ourselves. And then when we run into savages, they tend to be from other planets or other places that we just haven't figured out how to get along with with yet. Right, right. But I like the idea in this place, it's not a foreign bad guy. Mm -hmm. It's us. And what happens is the... The more he kind of, but it's not us in the same way Admiral Robocop is in the yeah. first one, where it's just am, it's just ambition and and uh, w- want for power. That's that that's what's evil, you know. Yeah, you don't see the good side of the Federation yeah. in that one. In this one, you see a world that you want to live in. It's like you know, I'd love to get past the ship we talk about in this fucking presidential election and yeah. live in that world. Yeah. I want to skip past this shit and just live in a world where. You know, there are all these differences and these differences are awesome and we all we all pull towards the same thing and our lives are better and we don't have things like fucking poverty and disease. And I get to live in a fucking space colony that looks like an awesome like Christmas ornament and it just looks amazing. <laughs> but you have to have the rise of the con Superman and a nuclear war in that world to get to this place. Yeah, I mean, but of course they just gloss over the f- that the fact that there is a that there is a pre-Kelvin history. I guess it, this is the this timeline is called it's not the Abrams verse, it's called the Kelvin timeline. Is that I think it? so. That's what they're calling it. So, because you know, is the it was the Kirk's dad's ship that okay. blew up that changed the timeline, right? Thor's brother's ship. Thor, yeah, Thor's brother. <laughs> or is it Thor? No, it's Thor. Oh, it is. Thor, Thor is Kirk's dad. We're talking oh, about okay. Loki? Yes, yes. Is Tom <laughs> Hiddleston? <laughs> yes. He'd been a great con. I mean, yeah. Not con. Yeah, that was the thing is that you'd think the Oscar use of, Isaac would have been a good con. Oh God, Oscar Isaac would have been great anything. Um, but you look at the con movie and the fact that was as dark and <laughs> pessimistic <laughs> as it was. Um, the first con movie or the more recent con movie? The more recent <laughs> okay. con movie that you know we didn't think it was a con movie because they lied to us right. in the promotion make up to it. But the fact is that you have a relic from a barbarous past. And that's a great opportunity to tell a story about how far we've come and how yeah. much better we are. But instead, no, we're all still the same people. We, we want you to build weapons. Also, it doesn't make sense for a 300-year-old man to design weapons for you. You know who was really <laughs> fucking smart? Sir Isaac Newton. And if we brought him into the present to design weapons he'd be a moron. for him. Yeah, he'd, he's like, I'm sorry, this guy believed in fucking alchemy. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Absolutely it's, right. <laughs> it's just so. It's like no, no. This is not how this works. It's like this guy used this to win the Spanish, you know. I mean, American uh, War. It's just, like that isn't no. It's worthwhile saying though that pro- probably the most regret the many regrettable things about Into Darkness is that 
there was clearly a not at all veiled allusion to Bush did 9-11 to the part of that plot. And right. like, and it's, come on, come on. Well, yeah. And they tried our... to cover their tracks. They tried to cover up their poop by saying this film is having a title card at the end saying dedicated to the veterans of the Iraq war or whatever. <laughs> right. And you're like, no, that does not soften the fact that you did, that Admiral Robocop is George W. Bush. And, uh, that Bob Orsi and, went on Twitter and ranted about 9-11. Yes. <laughs> let's, let's, I mean... That just that that's puts the stink of that whole thing onto, and I actually think when they did this with Enterprise too, where because that nine eleven happened during the run of Enterprise, they spent an entire season making a an aliens attack Earth, and then having a season long way to reconcile like it's an existential threat. We have to, and they really really went off the rails. That was sure. like that was a that was a third of the entire series that went off the rails because of. They had to somehow reconcile that we were in post nine eleven, and it's bad. It's just we don't. I don't want a Star Trek that's like that. But you know what? You could do that and make that Star Trek relevant and good, even in our eyes. Is that you don't tell the story of Star Trek characters acting like us. You create an aspirational story and say, this is what happens when this enlightened society deals with a terrorist attack of mm-hmm. that kind, and this is how better they are, and this is what we should be. That what if we don't respond in xenophobic hatred? You what mean, if we you don't mean res- not start a war? Yeah, maybe if- that would have been the that would have been the way that the the enterprise could have dealt with it. Has been like has been like oh we don't actually need to mobilize the entire race of humanity to for war for total war. What if we don't have a bunch of angry, stupid, screamy people telling the government just do whatever? I don't want to think about it. I don't care if you snoop in my email. Right. What right. if you? Did a specific social commentary and says, this is, again, like they did in Let's the 60s. Let's be honest, the Federation snoops in everyone's emails. Yeah. Come on. But, I mean, you have, a, you have an opportunity here to go, no, this is better than what we are. This is what we should be. And that was what we did with, with Captain Kirk all the fucking time back in the 60s. Sure. Is that he would go, oh, these people are racist. I remember when humans used to be racist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's insane. And sometimes they have to look it up. Yeah, yes. they're like, what's the what's the issue here? What pot? Why? How? Who would have followed Khan? Why would you follow a maniacal, crazy person? Right. They just don't understand. That would be really kind of, where they have to bring like the ship historian on to explain that oh, this yeah. was a situ- right. That was what Spock was for lucky a lot for, of the time, and very lucky for Mister Khan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously, who had a baby that they cut out of the movie? That oh. actually oh, is Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan. Yeah. A little an oh. infant crawls over to the Genesis device <laughs> while it's smoking about before it explodes. His infant. People assume that the young blonde guy who had his own TV series oh. is his offspring because they look very similar. But there is an infant in that movie. That's so bizarre. That he has a baby, and it's a super baby. And the last S- time you see it, super, baby. it's crawling to the Genesis device, and it, it may have even. I guarantee you, there's a shot. I'm just guessing where it's like fingers about to touch the Genesis device, <laughs> like the uh, uh, Sistine Chapel. Oh, <laughs> I can totally see that. And it, right now, there's like a drone flying towards us. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. It's, what's so bizarre about that too is that almost everyone that's under Khan in that Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan is way younger. So this yep. is not the original generation of people that were frozen. This is their kids. So when you have these younger guys with long hair who are kind of raggedy clothes, it has a whole new Manson family vibe mm-hmm. to it. Well, right. they may all be his offspring. 
Yeah, it would make total hmm. sense. Cool. They're the only pe- they're the generation of people who grow up in that world. They're so of the, course they can survive. The alt right of that world. <laughs> <laughs> you get a prize. Oh, uh, Ricardo Top, Montalban. Topical yeah. prize. Yeah. Oh, with the fire. Uh, yeah. And uh, well, Star Trek 50th anniversary and I think this week is kind of like the time that they're choosing to the, the week that we're recording this is the time that they're choosing to sort of uh hammer like the hashtag is blowing up this week, um, but the also, <laughs> wait that's the hashtag hashtag blowing up hashtag Star Trek blowing up blowing up. Uh, no, well they they of course we know a lot more about Star Trek Discovery, the new streaming only series, uh, and the one thing that was new that's intriguing, but also also has the potential to be like, well, where are they going to go with that? Is the central sort of in canon in-universe event that is going to sort of seed everything with its relevance is basically the cold, the Romulan Earth Cold War. Um, so it's going to take place prior to the Kirk era. So this is I, I, I trust Brian Fuller, who is the guy who's the showrunner for this, who was, uh, we've talked about this, Hannibal. He did Hannibal. He did Pushing Daisies. He was a staff writer on DS9. So he's someone who understands what the series is and understands what to do with it. Um, I'm always a little gun-shy about prequels, as you should be. But, you know, the other thing they're doing that, at least I've heard this, I don't know if this is confirmed, but they're doing sort of an American Horror Story true detective thing, which is great because if you take a risk and it doesn't pan out, you can just start again. Mm-hmm. Or you can end up like True Detective and have it canceled after the second season because no one didn't I hear like they're it bringing much. it back. I've got my fingers oh, crossed. Really? that They may wait a year and retool, but... Uh, There's the, a Justin Lin connection there, too, because he directed a couple of the episodes in the, the first most, season that were fucking great. Did he do the one with the really long shot? Yes. I believe that was him. Oh, I love you, Justin Lin. Yeah. That's fucking He's our awesome. Guy. Oh, man. And that's the thing is that I went into it. It was a combination of... Seeing that trailer with the, is it the Beastie Boys? Yes. Oh, you're talking about Beyond now. Yeah, yes. the Star Trek Beyond yes. Beastie Boys thing and hearing this guy directed Fast and the Furious and that my snob the sense went off yes. and I'm just Hot. like, fuck, this is ruining everything <laughs> forever. And it's like, no, this guy turned out to be great. I had a misconceive about him and his ability to do Star Trek. And I went in and ended up really fucking loving the stuff he did with Fast and the Furious. Yeah. I didn't expect to love the Fast and the Furious. And oh, that just warms my heart. <laughs> I I love going in and something that I just dread starting. You know that took me like two, three weeks having those DVDs sit in a pile before I made myself start. And then I'm like, why didn't I do this before? I could have been watching The Rock with a minigun this whole time. And don't those things weigh like hundreds of pounds? <laughs> yeah. Imagine how big that minigun is in a normal-sized man's hand. Yeah. It's powered by electricity, which means that in the Predator, oh, he, he's when they- He's dragging around the battery behind him oh, in the movie. Oh, he is? Yes. Oh, okay. He's, he's got, there's like a battery pack that he's just ripped yeah, out, it is, and he's dragging yeah, on the Don't worry about it. He's got a cover. He's, yeah. got a, he's got a car battery. He's good. <laughs> how much does that ammo weigh? Because, I mean, you'd think that it would be like- a backpack the size of like Venezuela. <laughs> All the bullets that he fires. At least at the rock, he only shoots that thing for like about three minutes. He's got to cool down the barrel. Six thousand yeah. rounds a minute. So that's I can't do math, but <laughs> eighteen thousand rounds. Well, yeah. no, I was talking about the oh. weight. Oh, oh, but, I see. Uh, but it's a lot. It's more than the rock weighs. That's enough metal. You could build a whole new car out of those shell casings, <laughs> and that would be what you should do with them because that is the highest use for metal. That's a lot of brass. <laughs> it's reinforced. <laughs> yeah. So we never did actually get to answer your open question, which is all oh, us, right. Which is what 
do you want the people, the cars? Is it the cars to do or the, the characters well, to do that they haven't yet done? You're saying there's something those characters do without their cars? Well, no. Yes. Okay, so what what would you like to see, like, in an action sequence that they have not yet done I, in I the think, Fast and Furious I think franchise? orbital reentry in a car. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they're on a space station and they that. have to get back home because it's going to blow up or something. And they do orbital reentry where there's a, they have to deploy a heat shield, reinforced, obviously, and, uh, and somehow... And well, they also have to uh, have to have fins or something so they can maybe direct it to get into the <laughs> right. ocean so they don't. That's what exhausts for. Yes. <laughs> Could you put Spoilers. a, life, a yeah. life support system on a car and have them actually have an action <sighs> sequence on the moon? Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes, you well, could. Well, they already have a car up there. Yeah. Oh, that's still true. there. Just, yeah, they could hijack it. Yeah. Uh, so I would or like to uh, now. Mine seems kind of small compared to yours, <laughs> but I would I would like to see uh, them Cup have holders. to drive around and beat some bad guys on an aircraft carrier while planes are landing and taking off. Oh yeah, um, you know I want to see cars like going off the side into the ocean and also exploding for some reason. Um, you know I want to see a plane <laughs> land on a car. I I think there's a lot of they have that thing here. that launches the planes. Yes. That launches, oh right. Launch a car. Yeah. Oh oh, that's a very good idea. Is there a chance we could get Arnold Schwarzenegger to play like a general? Yes, <laughs> of course. Yes, yes there is. Yes, yes. Do you have the money? I, I, I didn't mention million. this. Uh, speaking of money, um, there have got to be, for any future Fast and the Furious franchise, they've got to be squeezed to the salaries they have to pay to these people. Oh, boy. I think about like what percentage of the... And I'm sure they're like in the high 200 millions. Yeah. What percentage is just paying the cast their... their Pieces of silver, thirty pieces. The Marvel of films pay other than Robert Downey Jr. have these people locked into contracts that none of them, I mean, all the other movies they make, they could be in some little tiny indie movie. They're making ten times what they make in these movies, wow. mm. which is why a lot of the main characters in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe seem to have very similar looking actors or actresses that are very close to them to scare them. Oh, uh, in the end of the first Captain America film. It's clear that he's met by Scarlett Johansson's character in a bed at the end, and she's a nurse. But she's the woman that they have there who's cast as that character. She's not uh, Scarlett Johansson's character, but she looks exactly like her, hmm. and she was one of the people that they wanted to cast. So that's a contract negotiation that's crazy. happening there. That's, and you see uh, that happening hmm. with Sebastian Stan, the guy who plays the Winter Soldier. He's he signed up for nine movies. Uh, Fuck! And, and he's over nine movies. That's more but, than a decade. But the guy who plays Captain life. America right now, uh, I think, has one more, and then he gets to renegotiate. Mm. And they're getting about, I think, for what I understand, most of them are getting the guy who played uh, uh, Chris uh, Chris Evans. Chris, uh, no, the uh, Thor Hemsworth. He and Natalie Portman try to jump on the second Thor movie. The two of them said, "We're only getting paid half a million dollars for this. Like, I get, oh, I'll wow. do a commercial in Japan and get paid twice that for a day's work." And they said, well, you signed the contract and nobody knew who you were. Mm. Uh, and oh. so they, you know, but now when these contracts run out, they're either going to be replaced or then they will be renegotiated. And I think the Fast and Furious franchise is very similar where maybe Vin Diesel has a piece and The Rock, obviously, they had to woo him to come on board. But I think a lot of the people that are there, um, I don't really think the salaries in that regard, and which is why the movies can be so big, I think. Right. If, if the salaries were half like they would be in some larger film. I don't know if they could actually make the movies we've seen. The Rock could make like $60 million a movie. That's a very, very large chunk of a budget of a movie, even a big one. But they may be giving them back end, which means they're paying them relatively nothing, and they're making astronomical numbers on the other side. But as far as getting into production and having it impede on the actual film itself, 
all seemingly in these movies, all the all the cash is going to what we're seeing, mm-hmm. not who's on the screen. Hmm. So yeah. aside from Vin Diesel, is there anyone in the series that is completely irreplaceable? Oh, that's a good question. And I, I was already Ooh. thinking, like, what if they had to reboot it or what if they wanted to reboot it and uh, who would be the new Vin Diesel? I have no idea. Um, I don't know. Totally irreplaceable. You know, I hmm. I really I really love Tyrese. <laughs> I like Tyrese, too. <laughs> you know, uh, in my heart, he's irreplaceable. <laughs> in, the, in the eyes of Hollywood, I don't know. Because I look at the, the latest one. And now they have two tech people. So if Ludacris asks for too much money in their eyes. Yeah, you're right. So I love him, too. I love him, too. See, He's it's starting to happen in this franchise as well. I, I'm hmm. still sad that Han died. Yeah. Oh, because I, oh, I knew he was destined because well, it's like Han a causality did, Han loop. Han did shoot first. Yeah. Well, oh. wait. Do you know the, the last name of that character? Han? Yes, Sol- Solo. Yes, Solo. Yes. Oh, you no, know, and the- he won the and Vin Diesel won the car from him in a in a bet. Yeah. yeah. So, duh. I um, like the fact that at the end of Tokyo Drift, they're in the same parking garage, and Vin Diesel is going to do the drift thing in his muscle car. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, they never show that race, but they show that he no, won. Right. That is that was going to be my actually my high point, uh, which was. The token cameo by Vin Diesel that he only agreed to with Universal so they would sell him and David Toohey the rights to do Riddick forever. So he's like, I'll be in your movie yeah. so I can do the movies that I want to do because I want to act out my D&D character forever. Right. Yeah. Like that, I was like, bold move. I'm glad that it exists because I, I do like I do like these movies. I like Riddick a lot more and I think, think he should keep doing them because I think they're ridiculously entertaining. And I- And I'm glad that he made that move where he's like, I'll be in. I'll be. I'll, I'll do work for one day. I'll do two shots in this movie, so I will have. I will own this character. That's totally brilliant. Yeah. Did that cameo save the franchise? Yes. I, huh. Hmm. I I tend to agree. I tend to think that that cameo go. Oh my god, there could be more, and I'm going to get this again because you start to think in the third one when there's no carryover characters that oh. This is going to be lead down to made-for-TV Fast and Furious movies. But the thought that this character could come back and the thing that you just watched does have some role in the overall series mythology. They took a long time to get there because they clearly really like the Han character because Justin Lin actually created Han in a different movie yep. but prior to doing this one. And right. They, and both the actor and the director say, yeah, that's the same guy we have in here. And they even make a little reference to the fact that Han is always eating things. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gal Gadot's character says something like, oh, you used to smoke because that's why you're always wanting to do stuff with your hands. And in that prior Justin Lin movie, he's a, like a chain smoker. Yep. So they kind of tied that together. Han is my favorite member of the crew. Yep. And yep. the thing I like about Han is that he – Seems to try the least hard to be cool. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That he seems to be cool in a way that he's not flashy, he's not quippy, he's just cool. I don't know if I've ever said this word aloud before, but I would say he's languorously cool. (laughs) (laughs) So Tokyo Drift is actually one of my favorites uh, in the series. I think for the same reason that Matt said that, uh, you know, uh, I'm into Japan uh, and I think it shows off Tokyo nicely. The story doesn't make any sense. 
Um, oh, and Sonny Chiba. We didn't yes, mention yes, it. Yes, yes, and Sonny. I, yeah. I had erroneously identified him as Ken Watanabe, and I apologize <laughs> to every movie fan, every right. Japanese actor and actress actress in the past and present and future. Um, but Sonny Chiba looks, he steps into the movie and he looks like he's a 1930s Chinese Oh, gangster. yeah, of course. It's ridiculous. The only thing he doesn't have, the, only, the, the, the most boring part about the character is that he's in like a nondescript black Mercedes sedan. Yeah. He should have had like a 1930s, like, uh, uh, boat. Doos- Doos- what do they call them? Duesenberg. Duesenberg. It's a doozy. Yeah. A doozy. Yes, he should have stepped <laughs> out of like a 1930s car. Oh, like in like in the movie Annie. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. See. Yeah. So but Matt, with a Japanese accent. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned uh, Japanese commercials. Uh, it's my dream to be on Japanese TV someday. This has never happened to me. Uh, I went uh, I went to Japan with a friend of mine a couple years ago, and she got like snapped up by a film crew to be interviewed for a TV show instantly upon getting off the plane. Basically, um, I was in Japan a couple of months ago, and I saw this commercial that absolutely blew my mind for a couple of different reasons. Uh, it, uh, it was for a line of cosmetics. Uh, it starred Carly Rae Jepsen, uh, <laughs> singer. So this, I mean, the thing about uh, American, uh, you know, stars coming to Japan to get paid for commercials is no joke. Still happens, uh, and. It was like a 60-second-long commercial in which it's very clear that the setup was going to be that Carly Rae Jepsen um, and this Japanese woman fall in love. They bring in a heterosexual love interest in, like, the last two seconds of the commercial just just, <laughs> just to make swerve. sure. sure. Right. Um, but the name of the, of the cosmetic line is Moist, Diane. <laughs> oh, wow. The moist is a, is a uh, soft drink there. Yeah. So it's cosmetics that may, unless moist means. I don't think it's related to the soft drink, but right. it could be. Right. I have seen soft drink related cosmetics before. Okay. So it's, I could be wrong. <laughs> um, but I actually saw a Japanese moist commercial. Moist Diane. Moist Diane. Moist, comma Diane. Moist, yes. Moisha Diane, Diane. but yeah. not. <laughs> <Exactly>. moist, <laughs> moist Diane. But with no eye patch. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a line from Heather's. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw a Japanese commercial online a while back where Hulk Hogan seems to be. Selling an air conditioner? That makes sense. He is, or he seems to be. <laughs> he seems to be because <laughs> no it, it seems to have, the commercial itself, the part he's in, seems to have nothing to do with it except he's holding an air conditioner. All right. I don't know if he's intended to be naked standing behind it, but he appears okay. to be in is heaven. He, is he fucking the, is <laughs> he fucking the air conditioner? Is this a Japanese commercial? I think I saw that video. It was very grainy. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. He's burping <laughs> and talking yep. about eating too much pork, but he's and then just, he fucks an air conditioner. He's, he's just <laughs> That old chestnut. Yeah. So he's holding an air conditioner in heaven. And he's just singing the days of the week in order. <laughs> is, is this this is a Japanese commercial? Though. Yes. Oh, well, then there we go. Yeah. That's all we need to know. And that's all he's doing. And then it cuts to you know the the announcer saying the air conditioner or something like that because you have mm-hmm. the machine and they've got the little streamers on it to tell it's blowing. Yeah. Like, well, okay then. That was an easy payday for Hulk Hogan. <laughs> but uh, it looked like it was made in the eighties or nineties. He's a younger looking Hulk okay. Hogan. Yeah. So before. But, yeah, yeah. Before the <laughs> before troubles. Before the troubles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I once worked early in my career. I worked on a. Uh, I was working on a, a very B movie, which became sort of a cult hit called Poison Ivy Three. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I was eighteen I didn't days. Know they made three of those. Oh yeah, no, it's the most most successful one. Jamie Presley was the star. All right. Wonderful. And there was another girl in it named Meg- Megan Edwards, beautiful actress and uh, very talented, total method actor, probably in the wrong movie, but she was great. 
And she kind of looked like Winona Ryder. So after this sh- the entire shoot was over, the assistant director said, I just got hired as a Japanese-American. He said they got hired to do a Subaru commercial or shooting it downtown Los Angeles. You, 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 and you, you're all coming with me. We're going to make more money than we made the entire time here. Let's go. Oh, and we need a double. You, actress, Megan, you'll come with us. You'll double for Winona Ryder. So we do this thing. Winona Ryder's in the commercial uh, Japanese executives there who look suspiciously like Sonny Chiba, all of them <laughs> standing there. And they're looking, they look at us like we are what, how the apes look at the humans in the Planet of the Apes. They're just standing there like, look at these gaijin like running around with headsets trying to make our dreams come true. And it's great and very lucrative. And it was a great experience. Um, but Winona Ryder's in the commercial and she's up against the car and they're like, oh, we want you to drive the car. And she says, and I don't speak Japanese, so I'm sure the wording is off. And she says, I don't draw. I'm not going to drive the car. Thankfully, we had a double. She goes, I'm not going to drive the car. I'm just here for ka-ching. <laughs> now, ka-ching. it was explained to me that what she said, ka-ching or whatever it was, sounded like the dick. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So Chin. she's st- Chin. Yeah. Ching. So she's like. I'm not going to drive the Subaru <laughs> Impreza. I'm not here for that. I'm just here for the dick. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that's my, suit on that, and that is my first and last <laughs> Japanese car commercial. And if Megan Edwards is listening, I hope her, her career is huge because I think she's very talented. Jane Presley, obviously very talented. Um, but, yeah. Oh, and the director, the guy who hired me, is in Godzilla. The movie Godzilla, because okay. he speaks Japanese. And he's on the Yamamoto or something, and he goes, like, Godzilla's coming. Like, so if you ever watch the movie, the, the guy who's the on, The 98 like, Godzilla? The 98, yeah. the one okay. with, yep. with uh, Matthew Broderick. Uh, Matthew Broderick. Yes. He's in there because they called him and said, like, we need someone to do, like, a guy on a, on a, not a cruise ship, on a battleship saying yep. something. So rarely when the movie's on, I'm like, oh, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. Um, so if you ever want to see what this guy looked like, <laughs> and you know what Winona looks, Winona looks like, Winona Ryder looks like, and just think of her as saying, "I'm just here for the dick." <laughs> I just think in that moment, a lot of folks from Japan were having a lot of preconceptions about Los Angeles confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> all, all of them. Oh. oh. Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday comes again. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday comes again. Wellness.